Hello and welcome to another episode of the Asian Seller Podcast. I'm your host, Megla Bhardwaj. And today I'm so excited to have with me Debbie Chai, who is a Singapore-based Amazon seller. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Hi, Megla. I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me over here, Debbie. Um, so we met uh, very recently at the Amazon uh, Seller Conference. We were on a panel together and I heard about your story there and I was very intrigued and um, I wanted to get you on the podcast to share your story and understand how you know, you've really built your brand over here. And um, you mentioned on the panel, ta- uh, you know, finding products with a gasp factor. So that's something that really caught my attention. I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Because one of the challenges that Amazon sellers face is finding products, finding relevant, profitable products to sell. So yeah, let's um, dive right into uh, the episode. So first of all, Debbie, tell us a little bit about your background and how did you venture into e-commerce? Sure. Okay, let's start from the beginning. Yes. Um, so I initially, in my in a previous life, uh, worked in news as a reporter and an editor for uh, a decade. Uh, right. During that time, I moved to New York City to work in one of the biggest news organizations in the world. Um, and I loved it. It was great. I loved what I did. Mm-hmm. But I also had a hunger to build something that belonged to me okay. and to also be in control of my own time. Um, so after three years in the U.S., I decided to move back to Singapore and find a new calling, just find something new to do. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, at that time, he owned a factory in Vietnam making cuticle nippers. So literally, very specific, right? Yeah. Stainless steel nippers that are used to cut dead skin off the ends of your fingernails. Um, they're manicure tools. So I said to myself, why not take some of these products and just try to brand them and sell them? So I didn't know what I wanted to do anyway. And I, didn't also, I also didn't know anything about business. Um, but I did know that I didn't want to be saddled with the demands of a physical retail store. I needed to find a ready worldwide audience. Um, I also felt Singapore, the Singapore market was too limiting. Right. So I wanted something worldwide. Um, so I chose to start a store on Amazon in the US and that, that was quite a no brainer. Amazon is the biggest brand. Um, it has the biggest uh, market. Right. Um, so what year was it? When did you start? I started in 2014. Okay. And was um, your, uh, were those products already being exported at that time or were they mostly being sold in Vietnam? Uh, they were being exported worldwide, but under other people's brands. Right? Okay. So OEM. Right. Yeah, so I decided to, and, and the margins were low when you're a factory and you sell OEM, you really don't make very much and you struggle, I struggled with the limitations of a factory, uh, power outages in Vietnam and, and, and there were a lot of logistics and labor related problems. So I needed to lift up the business um, and, and I thought if I were to create my own brand and put it online, then we can see whether there's a demand for this kind of goods if I put it under a more sexy brand. Right. Cuticle nippers also were not very exciting and not very exciting as a product. So I decided to just elevate it a little bit. Right. So then, okay, so you started selling on Amazon US and uh, did you straight away have your brand? So your brand is called Ray Smiths. 
right? That's the name of your brand. And how did you come up with the name? And uh, did you start right away under your brand? Or tell us about that journey. Sure. Um, I actually started um, the brand name under uh, Viba, which is the name of the factory at the time. So it's a Vietnamese name. I, I did not care about branding back then. Right. I didn't understand it. Um, and I thought that um, if I had to prioritize what I was going to focus my efforts on, it would be more about the product, um, about the logistics, um, and about learning how to sell on an e-commerce platform. Um, so I didn't care what brand I put on it. Yeah. And I knew I didn't like that brand name, but I just started with it anyway. Um, and about in 2018, so almost two years ago, um, I decided to rebrand Mm -hmm. and create a new brand that is truly me is something that I can be proud of and that I can front and I can talk about confidently. So Bray Smith is actually a uh, East meets West kind of name. Bray is Chinese for super sharp. It's mm -hmm. the Chinese phrase Dian Rei. So Rei um, stands for super sharp and super precise, which relates to my cuticle nippers. And smiths is metal workers, smiths, mm. goldsmiths, silver yeah. smiths, right? Yeah. And because I'm Chinese and I lived, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm ethnically Chinese and I, I live in Singapore. I worked in the US. I speak English. I speak Mandarin. So I wanted an East meets West kind of name that reflected me. That's yeah, the story behind the name. That's very interesting. <laughs> so currently, do you have uh, other products in, under your brand as well? Or is it still only cuticle nippers? Um, so I've been really selective about how I choose um, what products I put into my range. Mm -hmm. um, I do have other products uh, that are complementary. I have cuticle pushers. And I have a line of gel, peel-off gel polishes, nail polish that I'm uh, about to launch as well as a manicure kit that I'm about to launch. So those are coming out in the next two weeks. Um, yeah, I'm very, very selective and I'm trying to make sure that the products that go into the range are complementary. Right. So um, do you sell on other e-commerce marketplaces as well or only Amazon? And which countries do you sell in? Uh, at this point, I'm only selling on Amazon and I have some distributors uh, in different countries. Um, e-commerce platform wise just Amazon um, and I sell nine marketplaces so that's um, US, Canada, UK, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, uh, Australia and Singapore. Mm, nice. Um, okay so let's talk about product selection now you mentioned you're very particular about product selection so first of all there's so many, you know, gurus and experts and uh, e-commerce coaches and all out there teaching all of these different methods to select products and look at data and, you know, analyze keywords and all of that. So in your view, is product selection, and we're talking specifically about Amazon, right? So for, for, for Amazon, is it more of a science or do you think it's more of an art and is it more subjective, you know, where you kind of just... Um, uh, use your instincts and, um, you know, just see the trends out there and, and then launch a product and uh, just because you have a good feeling about it. What is your sense of that? Yeah, that's a great question, Magdalene. In fact, I wanted to ask you that question yeah. because I wanted to see what people have told you. And I, I want to, 
guess that more people use science and data than using intuition and, and art. Is that true in your experience? Yes. In my experience, I think people try to use data, but there's so many methods out there that people teach. And sometimes just, uh, you know, people get lost and they don't know which to follow and what's correct and, you know, what's the right way. For me personally, I try to make it a science. I try to follow the data and look at keywords and everything. But um, I mean, me myself, I'm not a very data oriented kind of person. So I end up just, it, it ends up being a bit subjective. And, you know, because I myself like the product or I think it's useful. And of course, I do try to validate that there is demand on Amazon, that there are keywords that I can attach that product to. So for me, it's kind of a combination of data and science, uh, of art and science. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think I'm exactly the same as you. I struggle with the fact that I know there's data out there that I can leverage on that can help me be a better seller. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm also building a brand um, that eventually, uh, in fact, now, hopefully it will survive. It will, it will, go out, uh, it will grow outside of Amazon. It will mm -hmm. survive beyond Amazon. So I can't just think about what makes sense to sell on Amazon. It has to be um, benefiting the brand as a whole. Right. So then I need to think about what products I care about and what products will actually benefit people. Um, and I think, and so, yeah, so my, my criteria for selecting products is more of an art and I use my intuition. Um, and the main criteria is, whether or not the product makes a meaningful impact on people's lives. Mm. So when I choose a product that I'm like, okay, you know what, even if it's a tweezer, we mm. all use tweezers and tweezers are important to us as, you know, for personal grooming, but I need to look for a manufacturer that can make this product just a little bit extra better right. um, than what is widely available. So I'm not just chucking mm. products that I can buy easily and cheaply um, onto the Amazon marketplace. There's no point just chucking products on it and seeing whether it floats. So it has to be carefully thought through and curated. And this has to be some care in it. So there, I'm sure there are a lot of sellers who use data and then they buy products that they know will sell you know, quickly. But whether or not that product makes a difference and makes people feel better, helps them in their lives, they don't care. Right. I think that's a really valid point, Debbie. And a lot of people, uh, especially new sellers, you know, they really focus on Amazon and selling on Amazon. But you're right. I think people should consider this as, you know, an overall business and you're building a brand and think about how you can you know, sell that product on other marketplaces or, or retail or you know, maybe your own Shopify store. So I think that totally makes sense. So, um, Okay, so we've talked about that. You also mentioned gasp factor, right? So what exactly is gasp factor? How do you define that? I guess um, I've touched a little bit on it, you know, about how a product is meaningful or not. Um, but I'm going to maybe use an example of my cuticle nipper um, to illustrate gasp factor. So cuticle nippers have to be super sharp and super precise because they're cutting this really tiny pieces of you know, dead skin mm -hmm. um, in very sensitive part uh, of your nail. So if your tools are not sharp enough, you end up pulling your skin and you end up 
um, cutting or hurting yourself and there's a lot of stress involved. So if my product can take out some of that stress and when people go nip, they're like, oh my God, it works. <laughs> um, it, it really doesn't need to be super duper good made of titanium or, you know, white gold. It doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be super wow, but if it does the job well, just a little bit better than other products that you can buy you know, widely, mm-hmm. um, that is the gas factor. There's just a little bit of a, <gasps> um, and so because, because consumers are tired of ending up with un, unusable, poorly made products that they made online. Mm-hmm. So products I look for have to be well-made, long-lasting and just do their job a little bit better. That to me is the gas factor. Right. Yeah. That, um, that that's quite interesting. I mean, the product that you sell is very simple and it's very basic. I mean, you wouldn't kind of think of, you know, a cuticle nipper to have a gasp factor. I mean, think when I think of gasp factor, I think of something that's, you know, I don't know, highly automated or <laughs> something that, you know, um, does a lot of fan looks very different or fancy, but, but you're right. I mean, it just needs to do the work, you know, really well. So how do you go about doing research and, uh, you know, finding what are the issues with with products that are currently available on the market so that you get a better understanding of how you can improve the product? Um, in the beginning, yeah. um, because I only had this one product to sell, it was from my factory. I actually made it a point not to look at the research. Ah, okay. Because there's so many, like 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 you said, there's so many different ways of doing research. Right. Um, there's so many different um, different data that you can look at. It's really confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of clouds your vision. So if I knew what I wanted to do was to take this product, build a brand around it, tell a story, um, get the product into people's hands, I knew I had a good product. Then I really didn't have to care about what other people are doing. Um, and the thing about Amazon is that there are all kinds of people searching for products on the platform mm-hmm. too. So there's bound to be people who like your style at the end of sometimes with all these different competing listings and all the different reviews, every, all the information that you're getting from Amazon is so overwhelming um, as a buyer. Um, sometimes you just go with your gut feel and go with the listing uh, pro- and product that you kind of feel more like it, they're talking to you. Right. So, um, so that, that's, from, that's how I started out. But now as I'm adding more products into the mix, um, I use tools like uh, Unicorn Smasher. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's, it allows you to look at the sales volume of whatever product you wish to sell. So if you go onto Amazon, yeah, you, you just click Unicorn Smasher and it tells you which products sell better. And then you can compare and then um, decide how, wh- what products you want to sell and also how to position your products. Right. It's similar to Helium 10, right? I think most yeah, of it's I, like I'm a, familiar with Helium 10. Yeah. Yeah. Helium 10 is a great, it's very robust tool. There's so many functions in it. Yeah. So I think it takes a lot of time to learn how to use that. And I still haven't really gotten my head wrapped around that. Right. Okay. Awesome. So how do you differentiate your product on Amazon? Cause I assume there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of 
people selling um, the, the, the product, right? Yeah, um, there are a lot of sellers, but not as many as sellers of lipstick and makeup. Ah, so, okay. Which is why I like this category um, of tools mm -hmm. because fewer people understand it. Fewer people um, um, really go in depth into the product. So this is the reason why I love my category is because I, I have experience um, from the manufacturing side. And I can tell you a lot of things about it, like the type of stainless steel used, the type of carbon steel used for them, the rivets, you know, how um, the angle of the cutting jaws are better than another product. So I'm sorry, I, I forgot what question you asked. <laughs> I was just asking, how, how do you differentiate um, your product from all of the others on Amazon? Yeah, so I... At, at, at to a certain level, I don't care about what other people are doing. Mm. Um, that's on one hand. On another hand, I also look at what the way other people are selling their products. So I kind of glean a little bit of insight from that. But I don't focus too much on trying to be like them. So I just take all that information and kind of rummage it through my, um, just kind of like mix it up in my brain. And I put up my listing um, and I sell my product based on the way I like to communicate. Okay. Because there's just so much information out there. There's so many sellers doing well, so many sellers not doing well. It becomes quite a jumble at the end of the day. So I just focus on what I do best. Mm -hmm. I know my product and I try to make my listing as concise as possible and give the most information um, that I can. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it totally makes sense. And I also really like, uh, you know, what you said about selling tools and not some of the more sexy kind of products like lipstick and makeup that everybody wants to sell. Um, even, you know, a lot of Amazon sellers, they start with home products as their main category. And they do things like, you know, home decor and um, scented candles and all of those kinds of products that are very competitive. But if you do some of these boring products that are essential, that are really, really very essential, um, you might have less competition over there. So I think that's a, that's a great idea. So is your product mostly for you know, home use or is it for professional use, like for salons, or does it not matter? It starts out as a professional product because most of us don't understand it. Like when I first saw it, I was really intimidated. It's a very yeah. sharp tool. Yeah. Um, but as more of us, and, and so as a manicurist, as a professional manicurist, they have to learn how to use um, these tools. But as more of us go and get our manicures done um, as part of our daily lives, then we get exposed to these products. So now a lot of people are using them at home. Okay. So I, in terms of my target audience, I'm actually targeting both the professional and the home audience. Um, and you have certain market, markets like the Philippines and Vietnam. Um, users in those countries actually do go as far as to carry cuticle nippers in their purses because it's so much part of their lives. Oh, is it? Yeah. Interesting. So do you also do keyword research on Amazon to decide you know, what keywords to target and what to put in your headlines uh, and your description and all? 
Uh, yes, I do. So I do keyword research only after I've decided what product I want to sell. Um, and then I research on the right keywords to add to my PPC campaigns. Um, and as for the listings, I actually, in the beginning, worked with a, an expert. I went online and I found a listings optimization expert to help me understand um, what I needed to do to get my listings better. Okay. Yeah, so the, as an Amazon seller, there can be a lot of demand for you to know everything. Branding, logistics, you know, writing, co copywriting, um, and all that kind of thing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a big ask for one person. So there are certain things I don't do well at all. So I actually um, look for an expert to help me with that. Yeah. I think that totally makes sense. Um, there is, um, you know, you can, you can of course hire VAs or, you know, maybe outsource uh, some of these tasks to people on Fiverr, but there are also a lot of agencies that do listing optimization and writing copy and images. So I think that uh, totally makes sense. So you also mentioned, um, I think previously that you did not um, take any money out of the business for the first few years uh, after you started. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how long did it take you to be profitable? Um, the business started to be profitable after, it took a while. I was very slow in the beginning. I, I didn't have the kind of support that sellers today in Singapore have. Mm. Like, you know, we were talking just before this, you're trying to create a community of sellers in Singapore so we can all help each other and network. Um, in 2014, there was no such thing. Yeah. So I started really slowly trying to watch videos um, from the US and there's a lot of information that was very helpful, but still it was a very slow crawl for me. It took me, I think, two years before I started to make a profit and could cover all my costs. So I still, after those first two years, I still did not take um, a salary because I wanted to pump that back into the business and grow it to a point where at least now um, the business is in a much better place. Right. So when you launch a new product on Amazon, do you have any strategies or how do you get it on to page one for certain keywords? Um, I don't monitor that. Okay. Honestly, mm. I, I, when I have a new product, um, the first thing, aside from getting the right photos and the right listing, uh, the right copy and put it online, um, once my product's online and there's stock in FBA, I go and try my best to get reviews. Okay. So if it means, if it means um, reaching out to people and, and telling them about my brand and encouraging them to buy and leave a review. Um, that's what I do. And so the first few reviews are really, really important. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I just spend my time um, optimizing my listings and tweaking them and doing my PPC advertising to try to improve it. So I don't have a target about, uh, I, I don't have to be number one. So there's a thing about, um, one thing I wanted to talk about um, as an Amazon seller is there's a lot of pressure for you to be the best. Mm -hmm. 
I don't feel like you need to be the best because Amazon is a massive marketplace. And to have, to own a decent business selling on Amazon, even if you're second best, third best, fourth best, 11th best, you can still have a very, very decent business. So um, I don't feel the pressure to have to be number one. So I don't push in that way. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So um, do you prefer sourcing from one particular country or are you still um, sourcing your products from Vietnam, from, the fact, from your own factory? Is the factory still running? Uh, no, it's not running anymore. So okay. because I had that experience and I know who the players are in the market, um, I'm buying from other factories in Vietnam. But I also buy from China. Okay. So right now, country. I only source from those two countries and I've tried to source from Europe, but the margins are not good. Mm. So, and I'm open to trying uh, to looking into India as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You might find such products in India too. Um, so talking a little bit about Vietnam, what sort of difference do you see in terms of the products made in Vietnam and China? Um, for my product, the, the, it's, it's unique. I'm not sure that what I know about the difference between Vietnam and China is applicable to other people and other products. Right. Um, but for my product, the reason why I only buy cuticle nippers from Vietnam is because the quality, the sharpness of the cutting jaws is so much more, um, it's so much, it's such a, higher le higher quality than in china the sh chinese the chinese make all kinds of um, nail beauty tools and mm -hmm. for the regular tools like tweezers you can buy from china that's okay but the chinese cannot get the sharpness um in the cuticle nippers like the vietnamese can mm. interesting in terms yeah. of prices are they about the same uh, in terms of prices, the Chinese still have better prices, for sure. Mm -hmm. The cost in Vietnam is a little bit higher, but if the product is significantly better, then we can always um, buy the Vietnamese quality and bake in the, the product margin and then sell on Amazon. And the good thing about Amazon is the buyers understand quality, so they are willing to pay a little bit more for something that is good. Right. So how do you manage your things like packaging and, you know, your branding? Um, are there any, is there anything specific that you do to, um, you know, position your brand? Do you do any content, for example, or do you do videos or, you know, tell us about how you, uh, you know, develop and position your brand and, and do some of your marketing? So my brand is relatively young. Um, so I have to tell my story. I have to tell my story um, um, uh, to as many people as I can. So I've been using Instagram as my uh, tool. Um, and that is, again, not my forte. So I've hired an Instagram manager. I found her on Upwork. Um, and this is something she really enjoys doing. Uh, talking about uh, colors and and putting together beautiful images. 
and also talking to people. So she, she helps me to engage with my followers. Um, and that, that is um, pretty much the main way that I'm focusing on uh, expanding my brand right now. I also have a website that I've created um, to sell my product and that is a work in progress. Okay, interesting. So do you get, uh, like, do you drive your Instagram followers to your Amazon listing and, uh, you know, encourage them to buy the product there? Is that how, how it works? Yeah, that's pretty much how it works. Okay, interesting. And uh, I think Instagram has um, also allowed shopping on Instagram, right? I mean, you can actually buy products from within Instagram itself. Have you tried that at all? So I, I, I've literally just started that. That okay. I think I started that last week. Okay. Um, it's exciting because then you can post a picture um, with like a cuticle pusher in it and then tag it. Um, and when people click it, it goes, um, it takes them to your website and mm-hmm. then they can buy from there. Yeah, I think uh, social e-commerce is going to be the next big thing. Especially, you know, now that uh, because of COVID, all of the retail stores and all have been closed and people are looking to shop online. And um, there's been such a huge increase in live streaming, right? Have you noticed that as well? I mean, people are live streaming from their shops, from I think even wet markets over here were live streaming. And the other day I saw somebody was... Right? Yeah, like fresh fish and they deliver it within a couple of hours and all. And... um, yeah, I mean, the other day, somebody on my Facebook feed, I saw he was selling fruits and they were, you know, like literally peeling the fruits up and eating them. And say, oh, they're so tasty. They're so juicy. And <laughs> buy now. So I think social e-commerce is going to be the next big thing that uh, it's, it's going to be very exciting. It is. And anybody can get into it. So it's just about how creative you can get. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So how has your experience been selling on the Singapore marketplace? Um, selling on Amazon Singapore or actually any other new Amazon marketplace is fairly easy mm-hmm. um, because I spent a lot of time on the US and Europe marketplaces. Mm-hmm. And it, so it was easy to launch in Singapore because the account managers here are very helpful and very prompt. Yeah. All I needed to do was to port my listings over and they're mm-hmm. all in English anyway. Um, so language wise is not a problem. Um, I ported my listings over, sent my stock to FBA, and then I could begin selling. Mm-hmm. Um, the one downside, though, about selling in Singapore is that um, we don't have sponsored products or sponsored brands yet, mm-hmm. which means we can't buy, we can't partake in pay-per-click advertising and make our products more visible to buyers. So that's, uh, I hope that they launch this um, functionality soon. Yeah. Um, another downside is that the market is very new, very young. Uh, it takes some time for Singaporeans to get used to buying on Amazon.sg. So the buying volume, at least for me, isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's really easy to set up. Right. And um, so you're using FBA, right? For, I am. For Singapore. Okay. Yeah, I guess your product is small. So... Um, it doesn't um, cost a lot, I guess, because some other people I know they have slightly bigger products and because the sales were really slow on Amazon Singapore. So they were mostly doing FBM. Um, yes. They didn't want to have, they didn't want to have their products stored at the FBA warehouses. Um, yes. and, and I would mm-hmm. recommend if you have bigger products to do both, do FBA and FBM. Mm-hmm. 
you yeah. can, yeah, you can do that. I do that in the U.S. So I keep stock in a, in a warehouse uh, outside of the FBA um, system. Mm-hmm. And it's been really helpful because in this COVID um, uh, pandemic, during the pandemic, uh, Amazon U.S. FBA warehouses were severely inundated. They still are inundated now and they took a long time for them to fulfill orders. And in the meantime, my warehouse was designated as essential. So they could get the product to the customer a lot faster. Okay. So you have options. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And did you find that FBM was uh, cheaper than FBA in the US? Uh, it really depends on what kind of deals your shipper or your warehouse has with mm-hmm. USPS or UPS. So yes, you can save a few bucks here and there, um, but it depends depends on the product, you know, how heavy it is, how big it is. It right. varies. Right. Okay, awesome. So what is the one piece of advice you have for people who are just starting out uh, in e-commerce? Um, my advice is not to expect to become a power seller in a flash. Mm. Um, it does take time and effort and persistence and there's so much to learn about selling on Amazon um, so you do need to take time to learn that but the good news is that um, there's so much good information that's widely available and there's so many people that are very helpful um, people in the same boat as you so um, there are forums um, the Amazon seller forums, um, they're a great place to get your questions answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not difficult to do. It's just something that if you want to do, um, that you need make sure that you're focused on it and give yourself the time to actually do it properly. That's great advice. And a lot of people actually uh, start Amazon thinking that it's a get-rich-quick scheme. And they will, you know, be millionaires. And in fact, a lot of gurus out there, they position it that way. You know, they, they have these ads on, on Facebook with themselves posing in front of their sports cars and all. So, but I think, yeah, people need to realize that this is a real business. And if you treat it like a real business, then it will definitely, um, you know, give you good returns and, and be profitable and give you the lifestyle that you want. I think that's one big advantage of uh, FBA, right? If, if you sell on any other marketplace, I mean, you yourself have to do the fulfillment or have a warehouse of your own. Or, you know, I think the fact that Amazon does all of that for you, the customer service and the fulfillment, that's really what makes this a laptop <laughs> business <laughs> or something exactly. that you can run from anywhere. It's the ideal, right? It's what everybody aspires towards, to have a business that just runs in the background while they go off and live their life, you know, just check in on the business once in a while. So Amazon truly allows you to do that. Exactly. Yeah. But you're right. It takes time. It takes a lot of effort and it takes investment. It's not something that you can start with $500. It is a real business and you have to invest in it. And, um, I mean, don't give up if you have one failed product or, um, you know, if, if something doesn't go wrong, I mean, doesn't go right. <laughs> if things go wrong in the beginning, don't give up. Just learn from those mistakes and keep moving forward. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Debbie. It was so nice talking to you and learning from your experiences. And, um, you know, hopefully we can meet up sometime. And uh, once <laughs> all of our all of the, the restrictions are lifted uh, from COVID-19. So um, we, we used to host meetups previously uh, until last year before all of this started. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we'll meet um, in one of those meetups. <laughs> I hope so. So too, thank you so much for having me on your show, Megla. This yeah. is wonderful what you're doing. <laughs> thank you so much, Debbie. All right, see you around. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye.